Ghosts are horny. Spooky. Revisiting female violence. <laughs> that could be any of these episodes. I, I hate to bring up bugs. <laughs> Once again, I have to bring up bugs. Six quick and easy steps for your common demon summoning. I accept this headcanon. Liberal propaganda. Damn cucks. This is a John Winchester hate zone. Could have had mm-hmm. Killer Optimus Prime and he had to be racist. To be fucking racist. Persqueeter. <laughs> And welcome to On the Road with Supernatural, the podcast where we watch and discuss supernatural episode to episode from the beginning. I'm Jasper Graydon. I'm Jordan Grimm. And I'm Allie. And we'll be your hosts for this Monster of the Week journey through American folklore and Christian mythology. Woohoo! We made it. Season finale. The finale. And we it's are a, here. Yeah. And it, it's it's a weird one. It's a weird Pretty one nice. because this episode 16. Instead of like 21 or 22. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And um, I think we can see this trend around this time of like seasons ending kind of early because of the writer's strike, which we had talked about a little bit, the effects of that in past episodes. Mm-hmm. But because of the writer's strikes, I thought today maybe we could discuss some shows that we personally watched that were affected by the writer's strikes of this time and then kind of our experience with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess as per usual, I will go first. Yes. And Tell us. I, of course, have to talk about Heroes because I feel like Heroes was huge. Like it was kind of like a, the TV show phenomenon of this time. Yeah. Like I feel like it was the thing people latched onto really hard, right? Like when Lost was like con- kind of concluding. Yes. Or was lost something else that got messed up by the writer's strike? I feel like the time is correct. So the I think the season the series finale of Lost happened congruently to the writer's strike, and I think that's why people remember the ending of Lost so poorly. Yeah, I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure. But heroes. Yeah, Heroes is kind of an interesting story, like, related to the writer's strike, because a lot of shows like, you know, Grey's Anatomy, Scrubs, 30 Rock, like, all of these shows were affected greatly by the writer's strike, but these shows also were already airing and had multiple seasons before the writer's strike happened, Yeah, where Heroes had one small season and then season two, the start of it, happened during the writer's strike and it was completely affected. Could you sort of explain the concept of Heroes or like the idea behind it for maybe some of our listeners who aren't familiar with it? So the idea of Heroes was kind of like a superhero drama. Now this is really common, but at the time it was a superhero drama that existed outside of like comic books. And even though comic books were like referenced in it and like very much integral to like the like story and definitely motivated the writers, but they were pretty much like it was a departure from like your, you know, Saturday morning cartoon superhero. Yeah, they were like, they're like OCs. Exactly. And it was uh, very much like also kind of the origin of heroes within this world and getting to follow these characters on this journey. And uh, the whole point of this show was to see regular everyday people and how they go from a nobody to being a hero and like what their calling was. Right. Are the opposite, you know, into becoming a villain. 
it was a really interesting concept and it was really fun in the first season, especially at a time when the superhero market wasn't so oversaturated like it is today. Right. But the writer's strike affected this show so chaotically. It was like kind of hilarious. There's going to be spoilers if you haven't seen this. And keep in mind, I have not watched this show now for like 13 years. I watched it as it was airing. So I may get some details wrong. But um, the funny thing was, is the ended season one on like a big cliffhanger, which the main character whose name I cannot pronounce, Milo Vento something. Milo Vento Leone. um, Milo Vento Rigatoni. Um, Milo Italia man. <laughs> Italia man. He acted with Sam, that uh, Jared Padalecki in um, the show with the girls. Gilmore and, uh, girls. Yeah, the complaining girls. <laughs> um, caffeine girls. Yeah, caffeine girls. So pretty much like the funny thing is, is there's like a portal opens or something, and like an Irish girl comes out to like give what? him advice, like with a thick Irish accent. And then she is literally never seen again. Things happen, like, main characters just, like, get shot, and then we just completely forget about it. Oh, my like, gosh. There was a virus that was supposed to infect the world, and that was going to be the big plot point of season two, was stopping this virus. Mm-hmm. And then there were characters who maybe not have had superpowers, but who were scientists that were, this was supposed to be like their shining moment and the reason they were written to this show. Like Maya, I think her name was. And because of the writer's strike, like we never got to see that storyline come to fruition. So we just kind of had these normal people running around too that were also part of this cast that ended up not connecting to the heroes or any storyline in any way. And we're like, why were we invested (laughs) in these regular Joes in the superhero show? I love that. It was so bizarre. Instead of like trying to fix these problems, what they did was just like decide to end the second season, like halfway through without tying up any plot points. Yeah. And then in the next season, just pretend like none of it happened. That's hilarious. Oh my God. And so, like, it ended up causing the show to fail because people aren't, like, fat, stupid, like, (laughs) and then the average audience, like, was so confused, like, there was just no redeeming it, especially, like, the whole plot line was, like, save the cheerleader, save the world. That was in all of the advertising. It was constantly said throughout. Yeah, that's what I remember, and I remember that never Never went went anywhere at all. It was so weird, but... Hey, it skyrocketed Zachary Quinto's career, and I love mm. a gay Spock, so whatever. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny that you are like, I love a gay Spock, because like Zachary Quinto's Spock is the one that they like made straight with a Oh, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, let's take a gay actor to make a straight character. Yeah, which is like hilarious because Spurk is like the ship, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh, Spurk. I thought that was like a sex thing for a second. Well, I mean. (laughs) I mean, it is, I guess. That's true. (laughs) But um, anyways, Allie, what about you? What shows were you kind of into that were affected by this writer's strike? So, of course there's scrubs which Uh, it was was kind of like the inverse of heroes where it was the last season yeah Mm -hmm. and 
it really fucked it over because they had to cut the season short and they came back with like two final episodes and like the episode summed it up okay like it, it wasn't a, a truly horrific ending and then yeah, when the writer's yeah. strike ended it got picked up by another network for one more season but the n- new season was not the show it was <laughs> in the past yeah. right so we created a huge just shit show so the, the problem ending. with the ending of Scrubs was it was picked up to create a new season to create a spinoff. Mm-hmm. And then the spinoff was never sold to the network. So it was truly bizarre. It was like yeah. a jarring final season. Yeah, like I don't even know why they tried to mash that in. Because it was just so utterly unrelated. And not as, like, Scrubs is so heartfelt. And right. funny, but honest about like the truth of being human it was just a lot but I also do want to shout out one that kind of fell through the cracks in a very similar way to um oh my gosh the cowboys in space one cowboys firefly in space. firefly oh Thank firefly you. one that similarly fell through because of the network and like fallout post the writer strike was happy town which I'm convinced Happy Town stumbled so that things like Hannibal and American Horror Story could run. Because it was about a a murder in this small town and the cast was outstanding. And it it was one that like had eight episodes, but two of them were posted online in the end. And just another like, like tragedy because people don't understand like with the writer's strike too like the main writer's strike was over but like it still caused a lot of chaos with shows and even like the next five years like it was just interesting to see how many fell apart and like uh changed wildly different directions from what they intended oh Mm -hmm. i forgot about happy town that's an interesting one oh it's so good that's the one that had um the main character of Lucifer in it. That's not Lucifer, the detective. Yeah. Chloe. Chloe? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, she was in that. And like all of these very famous older actors. Probably a lot of them that are in were in Supernatural in the early seasons, to be honest. Actually yeah. a lot from American Horror Story, too. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Love to track an actor's career. Yes. What about you, Jasper? What are you mourning the loss of or the changing of? Ugh, Battlestar Galactica, the oh. early 2000s reboot. For anyone who doesn't know about Battlestar Galactica, um, the original series started airing in 1978. And it was like this whole big, you know, macho space opera sci-fi thing. And they rebooted it in the early 2000s to be this like intense, like sexy political drama. And it sounds like it would be so dumb. But it's so good. It's so good. So essentially the plot is that in the far future, humans have created Cylons, which are like cyborgs, to be a race of like robot slaves or whatever. And the Mm -hmm. robot slaves rebel and there's this huge war. And they don't exactly lose. They just kind of like leave the, the Cylons. And then they come back way, way, way later, even further in the future, and like utterly devastate the entire planet. 
Um, mm-hmm. just completely destroy human society and the viability of life on the planet at all. It's like a disaster of a nuclear wasteland. So the remaining like couple of thousand survivors of humanity leave on these huge military battle stars and try and escape the Cylons who have like launch this mission to like fucking eradicate the human race. Um, But what a lot of people don't know yet is that the Cylons have learned to imitate humans. They've created these new models of Cylons, which do not resemble robots in any capacity. They look just like people and they've invaded these models uh, have invaded the uh, human political structure and military structure in order to further help it combust from the inside. And it's, it's just so fucking good and compelling. And it's very like, you know, who is a Cylon and who is a human? And then there's all these like space fights and stuff, um, but they don't look like sort of Star Wars-y, I don't know. And like they may, they take one of the characters who was like this super macho, like older guy pilot and make her into this super um, hot butch lady. And she's like a genius. I, I'm sorry, I'm obsessed with Starbuck. I'll never shut up about <laughs> her. I love her so much. She should have been gay. Like fucking gambling, <laughs> cigar smoking, genius uh fighter pilot character i'm obsessed with her but anyway so it it really it it had such a cool story and like i know i'm making it sound like it's basically game of thrones to people who don't watch sci-fi but are familiar with you know popular tv Mm -hmm. but there are all these really beautiful um undercurrents of like togetherness and society and like the mutability of certain like religious ideas and the interconnectedness of the human psyche and you know the the classic sci-fi uh idea of what what does constitute a soul then suddenly <laughs> there was <Yeah>. season four. <laughs> yeah. It really went off the deep end with some stuff. The finale episode was some of the worst. It was pro- it's probably one of the worst finale episodes I've ever seen of a series to this day. They like tried to wrap up so many storylines. It felt like they stacked like four or five different finale episodes on top of each other. Like there was just no pacing or flow. And then it had this really bizarre meta conceptual idea of like restarting the human race and something, something about Bob Dylan songs. And I don't know, I, I will never get the, the, image and like the sound of um Kara screaming we're going the wrong way we're going the wrong way she's like rolling around on the floor oh man <laughs> it's just so bad which is super disappointing because like the whole rest of the series is just so oh man it's so good it's it's an incredible show up until that point. And honestly, yeah. despite the bad finale, I still recommend it to people. 
it starts with a two-part mini series, which is basically like two really long movies. And those are all about the destruction of um, the human home planet. And, the, and then it launches into the whole like escaping the Cylons story. But anyway, this is just a really long thing to say that like, man, that was a fucking letdown. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to describe it without like fully spoiling it because I really do think people should watch it. <laughs> Um, I think there's still something to be taken away from it, despite how like fucking demolished the the story ended up. And honestly, I think the moral here between all three of our anecdotes is just that maybe you should pay people what their (laughs) their labor is worth and then (laughs) this kind of thing won't be a fucking problem. Yep, absolutely. You hear that, Hollywood? <laughs> We're still coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> Today's episode is season three, episode 16, No Rest for the Wicked, the one where Sam's the final girl. This episode was written by Eric Kripke and directed by Kim Manners and originally aired on May 15th, 2008. The last cold open of season three. Here we are. And I have to say, I love this one. We love a dream sequence, especially mm-hmm. when it's yeah. not the final scene. I think you can go really wackadoo with a dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Don't make it. It was a dream all along. Shut up. <laughs> but this is great. And I'll tell you why I think so. Because that's the point of this podcast. <laughs> it really resembles so many other cold opens in the show, like for the regular Monster of the Week episodes. And I feel like usually when the subject matter of the cold open is both or one of the boys, it does have a different kind of flow to it. But this chase scene, this chase nightmare feels so much like random Susie Q getting ran down by like a vampire or, you know, whatever in like any other fucking episode. It's, yeah, it's wonderful. I actually was really intrigued by this episode because they really did decide to let Dean play this victim role. Yeah, that we had seen him protect other people from. Yeah, and the way that those people were hopeless and not knowing what to do, like he was hopeless and not knowing what to do. Yeah, no, it's it's great, and I think like there's something so wonderfully horrible about this character who's an expert who's in the know who usually has so much control in in this kind of realm Mm -hmm. anyway just being completely unable to do anything about his situation like Mm -hmm. he's having to be saved by other people but they can't do it and I'm like yes Yeah, it's definitely really interesting. I think the opening sets up the fear well. Um, and I, I do especially like, like, you don't know it's a dream. Like, it's not so outlandish. Like, it matches right. the tone of the entire episode and also puts you immediately in the kind of um, fear mindset that Dean is in because he is running out of time. And this is this could be not just a dream, but how the episode ends. Right, exactly. It could be. And I think the only sort of hints that we have that it isn't have to do with um, some of the camera work. 
Speaking of which, <laughs> sorry, I was expecting one of you to have something to say to that, but that's well, I right. thought you were going to explain yeah, the camera work. I honestly thought that um, Bentley was barking and you were. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just waiting. I was just waiting. I, I noticed that I do tend to go on. So I've been making a conscious effort like the past several, several episodes to just like stop, especially since we don't have any kind of like facial expressions or like body <laughs> language to go off yeah. of like I'm like okay I mm. need to make sure there's room for other people to say things or else I will just keep going <laughs> <laughs> but no there's something like delightfully 80s about this sequence and it isn't just like the sort of first person monster cam stuff although that does really put me in mind of like some old school Sam Raimi stuff it's like the sort of action movie editing like did you notice there were spots where it was like sped up on purpose yes yeah oh I totally missed that Oh, you did? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, we have, like, this shaky cam thing going on in the monster perspective and, like, occasionally that, like, monster vision filter or whatever. But there's also these moments where, like, it's edited to to be faster than he's actually running. And I think those are where we're supposed to be like, oh, this might not actually be real. But I just think it's so fun to see like these more old school looking um, techniques in, you know, something that came out in 2008. Obviously, 2008 was a long time ago now. It was 14 years. But, you know, that's something that was done a lot in like 80s action movies. Oh my god, yeah. It's really interesting because we get like these kind of like old stylized techniques in this cold open and then it's like immediately juxtaposed by this stupid demon face we always get on Sam. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where it's like morphing around. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, is that our only effect? Like, Yeah, I mean, I don't mind it. I just wish that with the glitch effect thing and and this was less of a glitching and more of like a kind of twisting and morphing but I wish that they would keep it to one thing. Like, I like it when it's ghosts because Mm -hmm. ghosts are sort of, like, there's this idea of them, like, flickering between world states. Like, they sort of are and aren't beyond. They have a certain liminality to them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry. But, yeah, no, I agree. It it is interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Like, they're like, oh, let's make it look like an 80s monster flick or slasher flick, but then also. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's super goofy. Which I guess that brings us out of the cold open. Mm -hmm. Oh, and we get this cool ass picture of the hellhounds. Oh, I love it. It's so disgusting. It truly is so ominous, too. Yeah. For those who don't remember, it's a giant dog made out of the bodies of other dogs. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. With like human faces on it and stuff, too. It's really freaky. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's nasty. I love it. Yeah, it's really cool. I kind of wish we would get more artwork like that of the monsters. But then I guess that's kind of setting us up to fail when they actually show us the monsters. (laughs) That's very true. Yes, I guess, yeah. yeah. I, I think there's definitely a lot more of that in uh, season one and season two. Like there was the gin episode where Sam had all of his little gin drawings. And, in... oh, and then we got a juggalo. <laughs> 
Yes. And then in Phantom Traveler, I think had a lot of interesting demon drawings or maybe it was it Shadow. I forget. One of those from season one. I'm kind of interested in here and like these scenes right after Dean wakes up mm-hmm. because I'm kind of curious how this would have gone because how like kind of supernatural works and we're setting up Dean here to be the victim of this episode because we literally have our traditional cold open with Dean as the center of it mm-hmm. and how we kind of work and like a typical episode is a person is at risk and then they're not saved until they kind of accept help from the boys Right. And here Dean is refusing help at every turn and he only Mm -hmm. wants to do things his way. And that kind of eventually leads to his demise. I kind of wonder if this was an intent on the writer's part. I think so. I think it's hard to see it as anything but intentional, especially given like how he really doesn't let people dig their heels in in every other episode. Like when it's just randoms, he's like, no, you're not going to be stubborn. I'm going to help you. And there, there really is here like a reversal of that. And it does feel intentional, I think. Yeah. And then we also like hate to bring him up in this episode, but I have to also see like parallels to John's story as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is so weird because it's kind of the same thing where like John only ever did things his way. Mm-hmm. And right. here it's funny because we have Dean kind of emulating John and he kind of he gets the same ending as John right. until John was released. And then we even see sam mimicking dean in this episode so that kind of makes me curious what's going to happen moving forward with sam's character it's interesting you say that because i i saw a lot of john in sam as well i feel like to move along uh in the plot a little bit sam goes and summons ruby right Mm -hmm. this whole scene where he summons ruby feels so similar to John in um, season two, episode one, summoning Azazel. And actually, I'm pretty sure the incantation is the same. Obviously, John uses specifically Azazel's sigil to summon him. And, you know, since it's not the same demon, Sam doesn't do that. But it does, Mm -hmm. it's visually super similar. And the whole idea is that he's doing this summoning in order to save Dean. So it, it does feel very like in different ways, they're each sort of stepping into their dad's shoes. Mm-hmm. And I, I did like how Dean tries to disrupt it. Like there's mm-hmm. a moment where he's like, I've been down this road trying to save you. Like we see how this ended. I think he starts to see how this could just end up being a cycle of like Sam saving Dean, but at what cost? Right. Totally. And on that, on that note, I love that Dean interrupts Sam's conversation with Ruby because mm-hmm. it feels like it, it feels almost like a do-over for him. Like if he could have interrupted his dad making the mm-hmm. deal with Azazel in season two, he definitely would have. And so here he gets the chance to interrupt whatever Ruby was trying to get him to do and mm-hmm. like sees himself as saving him in that way from the kind of um, fate that their dad met. And I just, I mm, love that continuity. Mm. Mm -mm. and I feel like they're not smacking you in the face with it either I'm like they're letting us see it but not explaining it and that's that shit that I like yeah absolutely 
to back up a little, mm-hmm. I love the scene with Bobby in the beginning. Mm-hmm. What is this device that Bobby has? <laughs> oh my gosh, so. this thing's so freaking cool. It really reminds me, have both of y'all seen the Dark Crystal? Yeah. It no. really kind of reminds me of like some of Agra's crap in her like observatory, but yeah. it just has like this very, um like a compass, like the things you draw with, not like the ones that you perceive direction with, but the, the tool for yeah. drawing shapes and angles, like a giant compass, but also like a pendulum, like a magical pendulum. <laughs> it's very cool. I love it. It feels like it sits aesthetically in this place between the magical and the scientific, which is something that was explored in previous episodes. And I don't know if that's exactly what they were going for here with the look of it, but it's cool. And I have mm-hmm. to mention, I love that they don't spend any time explaining what it is. They're just like, it's Bobby. He finds stuff. It's a magical yeah. scrying instrument. Who cares? That's not the point. And I'm like, you're so right. It isn't the point. But also, what the <laughs> fuck is that thing? <laughs> well, especially because like with Bella's whole character, we really explored the idea that like there are magical artifacts, which we could have taken much further. Yeah, I like that. We're just like, you know what? They exist in this world. We can just have random things that do random things, and I'm here for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say to me, it looks almost exactly like Louis Vuitton sells this like $300 lipstick. Shut the That's fuck like up. also a necklace, and it looks almost exactly like this. It's <laughs> so ridiculous. Up. That's hilarious. Yeah. I want that, by the way. You deserve it. I do deserve it. <laughs> Who's buying me the Louis Vuitton lipstick necklace that looks like a magical object? (laughs) Why don't I own this? I really liked how it looked like just like a stationary pendulum. Like you put a pendulum encased in wood. Like I thought that was a really cool detail and made it like seem more realistic rather than like, here's a Geiger counter or some like bullshit. Right, right, right. Totally. It is such a departure from the sort of devices we see in season one. Like they had all those like things with lasers and they have the EMF detectors and like the EVP stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is so much further into the realm of the magical. I actually was thinking about this and I was going to get your guys' opinions on it because when I was watching this episode, I was like, man, I really wish they would spend more time like world building and investing in magic. And then I was thinking about it and I'm like, Mm -hmm. I kind of like that they don't. Yeah. It's just something that inherently exists in this world. And it seems fairly neutral because demons use magic, but so do the boys. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's interesting. I'm curious to see where they'll go with it. Yeah. It's like, it's just another tool. It's like a gun. Like anybody can use it. Within reason. Exactly. So they after they find out that Lilith is hanging out in Indiana for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, Just for funsies. Like, yeah, probably like hanging out with like Mike Pence because that's what I imagine <laughs> demons do. Jesus. Even <laughs> demons don't like Mike Pence. Oh. He's I too square. That's so. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> true. <laughs> they would never call their wife mommy. Oh my God. Oh, that's vomitous. <laughs> anyway so sam is trying to convince dean to like let him summon ruby and dean is like nope so sam just does it which i kind of think is funny i do yeah i love that (laughs) i feel like it's such a little brotherism he's like i don't care um 
but also I just Dean is so smart uh he, like it's not just that he knows Sam really well like he's like obviously he's gonna do it anyway especially because we just butted heads about it but like he's so prepared for this to go down exactly the way he wants yeah <laughs> he's like fine you want to get Ruby's knife we'll get Ruby's knife just fuck Ruby <laughs> I will say there is something about this scene. I just fucking hate when this show does this. Which? When they summon Ruby, I'm like, was Ruby written into this show just so, like, the showrunner can, like, be as sexist as possible? Mm. It really, like, does not endear me to the main characters when they like like i don't know whenever like ruby is summoned and they're like you whore skank bitch slut walking around with your loose demon vagina (laughs) and i'm like it just really makes me it like grates on me so much it reminds me of like when paula dean was in the news because she's like yeah i said the n-word but i was getting robbed it's okay when you're getting robbed and i'm like no like when you're in a situation like this where you're like when you like have this position over someone who has wronged you and like if you go to like sexism that means the ingrained sexism is there i hate it yeah right i think what is this line here's like she's like the queen bitch of lying skanks or something yeah Mm -hmm. i think we've talked about this before where like that kind of language was really normal in the early 2000s yeah which is crazy because it's not that long ago I know it's wild and now it's like such a faux pas yeah Yeah. like I don't watch a lot of week-to-week television that's airing currently Uh uh-huh but I feel like the language in it is never it's not like this no it's not as if like we stopped using the word bitch altogether or something but I feel like it's mainly women who use it or like mm-hmm. gay dudes and they mean like bitch affectionately <laughs> yeah it's like bitch and skank has become like a term of endearment mm-hmm. yeah like whenever one of my friends calls me i always answer the phone like hey slut and like <laughs> thanks <laughs> yeah. like when i go boo you whore <laughs> yeah yeah i also like can't imagine like like they were told that demons are sexual with it they have to like kiss you to make a deal but, like, mm-hmm. this all just seems to come out of, like, left field. Like, what has she done? Yeah, I uh, mean, to be fair, like, she is a bitch. But it's not yeah. because she's a woman. It's, like, she's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would also say that Dean is a bitch, though. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's They're really, both yeah. bitchy, mean people. They are. And it's kind of funny, too, that, like, Ruby is always called, like, a skank and a whore and stuff by Dean. Because, like, she's absolutely not. No, she's never sexual. In fact, she's like more removed from sexuality than Dean is. Mm -hmm. Like, meanwhile, we have Dean who, at less so in this season, but in in previous seasons, is written specifically so that we think he's some kind of like ladies' man or whatever. But obviously, he isn't. 
but, but you know what I mean? I feel like they're, they're so um, invested in the idea of Dean as a sexual being. And so it's like ironic when he's like calling her a skank and all she does is beat the shit out of people. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he's like showing hole for anyone who's like going to pay attention to him for five minutes. Like, Yeah, literally. <laughs> I really like this idea of Lilith being on shore leave. I found that really funny for some oh, reason. Yeah. Like she's just on vacation or whatever. Yeah. It's just like her idea of vacation is just like torturing a little town in Indiana. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I know it is super fun. I actually have serious thoughts about it too, which we should talk about when oh, we get yes. a little further into the episode. I know that you were just talking about how much you hate the way Dean talks about Ruby and like every time they interact, it's like skank, bitch, whore, this, that, the other. I'm sorry, though. I have to tell you, I really like this scene (laughs) where they interact. And I really love that line that Ruby has (laughs) where she's like, you dumb spineless dick. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I just really like this scene because like yeah Dean is being really smart and I love that but she's just like she just doesn't care like Mm -hmm. I love that she just beats him up yeah Uh, like that final kick and then she just like fucking headbutts him she's and you know she's way stronger than he is so Mm -hmm. she's not like like she could really go ape shit on him but she isn't she's just like <laughs> I don't know I just really enjoy it I felt like a little weird but um when I was talking about earlier about like Sam showing like kind of Deanisms, mm-hmm. it's like when De- when Sam calls Ruby a bitch and like how uncomfortable and weird that feels yeah he hits her and he's like yeah you bitch (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it was like I felt like he was like yeah trying to emulate Dean in that moment yeah Mm -hmm. no definitely and actually that's kind of why I like that scene that bit later it's awkward and uncomfortable and you know he's doing it because of Dean yeah I think that's like much more interesting Mm -hmm. continuity than just having them call her like than just having Sam be like yeah you're a bitch I was wondering Jordan so for the summoning circle that Sam makes, did you like recognize the symbols there? Because it looks like Aries Capricorn and then maybe like Scorpio. Yeah, I actually did. So one was definitely Scorpio. I was like, oh, is this Ruby's big three? I was like, what is that? <laughs> that would be so cool. <laughs> I feel like Aries Capricorn and Scorpio feel like Ruby though. Oh, absolutely. She's definitely a Capricorn sun, an Aries rising, and a Scorpio moon. That oh, Lord. literally perfect. Right? I wasn't <laughs> sure. I stared at the maybe Scorpio one forever. Because I was like, it looks like a handwritten Scorpio sign. Except Scorpio's- it, doesn't have, it doesn't have, like, the point on it. I do feel like two of them were astrology signs. And the fir- third one felt like someone had briefly looked at an astrology sign and then forgot what it looked like and then tried to draw it. Yeah, exactly. Like, so I was actually looking at like alchemical planetary symbols and like other stuff during the episode. I like paused it, but nothing looked quite like that. So I wasn't totally sure, but I'm glad that you also were thinking about this, Jordan. I knew I could count on you. Oh gosh, I found a picture of it, but the picture's so small. Let me see if I can zoom it in. 
Yeah, the one is literally, I don't know about Outcast. So it looks like Leo and Capricorn. The other one is so, it literally just looks like a squiggle. I, it does. Like, I, I wrote yeah. squiggle, dot, 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 question mark. It looks like um actually possibly like they were trying to emulate Virgo, but then they just did it too squiggly. Like it's oh. it, like it's not compact enough is what it yeah. looks like. I was wondering if it like it looked almost like it might have been Enochian alphabet because that is a little like harsher in the lines, but it's not quite right either. I don't know. Yeah. Probably thinking way too much about this, but I'm just really <laughs> interested in like, One you know, they had to like decide on the symbols to use, you know. But it was like obviously very inspired by a mm-hmm. astrological symbols right which is something that they've used for demons before so yeah. I was kind of curious but maybe it wasn't as intentional as we thought yeah I would love to know like what the design crew was thinking about when they made these yeah it's set- just such an interesting choice right the set people <laughs> contact me <laughs> <laughs> or don't find don't us know. What do you think of like the conversation that Sam and Ruby have? Because there's a lot, yes. to, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to unpack there. So gosh, I have a lot of feelings about this. The first is, is I think it's really interesting because this is pretty much Sam's demon deal. If he does yeah. this, he's continuing this cycle right. that has kind of plagued this family their whole entire lives. Yeah. But on the other hand, I'm like, man, are we just getting more wasted potential with Sam? Just let him fucking do it. Let him become the fucking Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I just want to see it. I just want to see it. Give it to me. Let my peepers peep a little bit of Antichrist, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> let my peepers peep. My peepers and like, those jeepers creepers. They keep teasing it. Like, let's just go all in. Yeah, no, I totally feel that. I also am seeing like not just the mirror to John's demon deal, but I'm seeing here like a repetition of the interaction between the three of them in Juice and Bello. Uh Like Ruby appears magically with this miracle solution. And Dean is like, no, fuck you, you know? (laughs) And I feel like that's really intentional as well. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I loved I, I loved the Dean coming in and like showing both that he's like not giving up and he's still so fucking competent. Right. No, he for took sure. control so well in this scene. By playing on her expectations of him being an idiot, essentially. Yeah. Um, I love it. I really love it. Oh, I love Dean so much. Oh my God. But okay, but do you think do you think he's right? Jordan like do you think he's right like like putting aside like I just let Sam do demon shit like is is Dean right to tell Sam not to resort to whatever vague things Ruby is hinting at or like you know because there was discussed earlier in the season like you know you can you should try and strategize to fight a long-term ongoing enemy. 
And sometimes that means, you know, doing things that maybe aren't ideal or aren't completely ethical or moral. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, Sam embracing this side of himself has not been historically shown in this uh, show to be a good thing. I mean, we look at Mm -hmm. Ava and Mm -hmm. um, all of the other characters, the special children, who once exposed to these powers ended up becoming kind of sociopaths and not even through yeah. like just like magic um through like the human condition itself too right it's kind of hard because there's a little bit of like an oxymoron here because the special children like succumbing to this power did not end well for any of them but at the same time the last time they didn't listen to ruby led to this whole situation that we're in now mm-hmm. i don't think it's a good idea because like I said it's kind of like him just continuing on this cycle and obviously why would you want to be the lord of somewhere that everyone's trying to escape from like even the demons don't want to be in hell (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally so no I don't I don't particularly think it's a good idea for Sam to do this I do think Dean is right right what do you think of Ruby in this scene? I find her really interesting here. Like the way she's using like candor as a, a weapon of manipulation. Like she's saying like, yeah, of course I'm, I've been manipulative, but I've never lied to you. And like being very like ex- expressive, open in her expressions and um, seeming like very earnest and I was wondering what you thought of that because I find it very compelling I'd be like yeah girl let's go (laughs) yeah I agree too I think it's kind of interesting too like um the concept of how we felt like Sam was being played this whole time Mm -hmm. and that Dean knew the truth and like part of that was just because of like a whole like Sam isn't ready type thing which is like Mm -hmm. a story we've gotten like a Sam needs kind of protected he's the younger Mm -hmm. brother so it was very easy to fall into that storyline and then to get here where no like Dean and us as an audience were actually being fooled possibly we don't Mm -hmm. know for sure I thought that was honestly yeah very compelling writing I was very interested I thought she played that very well Mm-hmm. Yeah, Katie Cassidy was great in this episode. She, she was yeah. fantastic. And like, there were so many times where they paused on her face. And every single time, like, she was acting perfectly. Yeah, totally. And I think a lot of her line delivery in, in this uh, couple of scenes is really incredible, too. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the way they exit this scene, and she's in the, uh, she's stuck in the devil's trap, and she's like screaming at them she's like I wish I could be in hell to you know hear you scream to hear like the flesh sizzling off your bones and stuff I was like damn girl go off yeah (laughs) like I believe her you know what I mean like I think a lot of the times characters are saying things and I'm like uh sure like even I think um our our main characters like in this episode there are times I'm like I don't know Jared are you really upset about Dean (laughs) 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 um you know but man like she blew me out of the water in this one Mm -hmm. so um so pretty much they fight Ruby Ruby gets trapped in the devil's trap and then we kind of get a, a little bit of what's going on in Indiana right now and what L- Lilith's little um, sabbatical was. 
some rosemary's baby shit yeah exactly it this was oh this was fun i will say it was so fun i think this child actor is great yeah yes she's amazing yeah i thought this was fantastic i love just the idea of like the amount of fear she can inspire right and i like the idea that like her demon minions have like set up this little playground for her yeah and she's not like oh i'll let my demon minions who will do anything for me i won't let them help me i'm gonna like torture this family right and I also kind of like that this little scene here kind of falls in line with like the kind of demons we know from our movies, like our horror movies, like yeah. paranormal activity and stuff like that. How it's like this demon just terrorizing this family and mm-hmm. thinking that like just the idea of thinking of that and it being like a demon from hell that's kind of just like, mm, I'm just going to go play around for a little bit is so funny to me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And at the same time, um, and this is sort of what I was hinting at earlier, and so far as like a more serious reading, it really does play into these long-term ideas of um, life in the suburbs and the American dream and whatever, not really being ideal or necessarily that great. Mm-hmm. Um like obviously this is extremely heavy-handed in that regard like and you know because another previous episode is like you know subdivisions that are actually Mm -hmm. like they have some sort of um monster infestation that's basically just like you know pest control stuff but this is like serious super evilness um but the idea that like in order to like have this idyllic um calm maintained neighborhood all of the neighbors are possessed and like you know this this very visceral very gory breakdown of the american nuclear family and when i say breakdown Mm -hmm. i mean like a literal physical breakdown (laughs) it's still charismatic and i just love it being brought to a head in a very literal way here And then immediately reflected with this very um, tender, gruff, Bobby interaction um, with Dean and Sam right after. Mm -hmm. With the family don't end with blood and, um, you know, they're all nasty and dirty and kind of yelling at each other. (laughs) One thing I'm kind of curious about just from like an inspiration point from like Mm -hmm. the writer's side is like, so Lilith is like, something we see in like a lot of television like yeah when I think of Lilith I think of like um the Netflix Sabrina's Lilith and like mm. how Lilith is usually a monsterized version of motherhood exactly. and here we put her into a child yeah I'm just very curious why yes. the idea of putting her into a child oh I'm so glad you brought that up that was one of the big things I wanted to talk about with regards to Lilith in this show because she is the, like the mother of demons yeah <laughs> I feel like they're like, okay, we want a female demon. And they probably just looked up a list of like female demons from like old Bible type stuff. And they're like, oh, Lilith, it seems like that was kind of where the inspiration stopped yeah. mm-hmm. so far. Well, and I'm not entirely sure, like, correct me if I'm wrong, literally anyone, but I'm pretty sure that Eric Kripke is Jewish. So he, I mean, like he would know about Lilith, that being the case. Lilith isn't nearly as present in Christian mythology. 
Also, she's one that's like, there's debate about whether she's misinterpreted and how much is like evil about her when in Supernatural, this is just like pure, most concentrated evil. Right. Totally. I think there's something about creating a monster out of childhood and innocence in particular that is something like so viscerally wrong to yeah. the human psyche that that it really is like a much more extreme version of evil than mm-hmm. like having this idea of motherhood or sexuality being evil. That's like a very mundane sort of evil that Mm -hmm. we're exposed to so much because of uh you know rampant misogyny in the entire human history so yeah (laughs) well especially the first time we see this lilith is she's literally in a bloody white dress and the symbolism (gasps) of white dresses in this tv show so even yes even just in this tv show let alone like the rest of common symbolism and motif in like western lit and Mm -hmm. uh, media on the whole and like the idea of killing the cat is the thing that people point to as like the early sign of like a psychopath yeah yeah i liked that little nod that was something that was used in uh season two even with the special children and and i know um like, yeah, you know, maybe that's like a harmful thing about mental health or whatever. And I kind of mm-hmm. mentioned that briefly in that particular episode. I think that was a Ava episode. But it is something very easily recognizable. Like she has all of these horrible evil person danger signs. And yeah. just like the complete unrepentant evilness of it that then almost has an innocence to it. Like it is just so completely in her nature to be evil mm-hmm. that it feels not excusable, but you know, it, like, do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like yeah you know like of course the lion is gonna gore an antelope it's a lion (laughs) yeah and I like how they definitely differentiate her because like the other ones at least have motivation or people to follow and what we know of her so far it's just like evil for the sake of evil and I like the visualization of that with the white eyes compared to the black eyes Right. Yeah. There's, there is a sense of like purity there in the symbolism. Like Mm -hmm. she is the pure essence of fucking evil bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I really like this and I, I kind of like it more as just a demon and like the big bad more than I like this as Lilith in general. Um, I think it functions well, but there's the question of like, why are we using Lilith specifically? Right. Yeah. And I think um, that's something that maybe we can explore a little more in season four. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, well, let's let's talk about this next scene um, between Dean and Sam and Bobby. I you know I mentioned the family don't end with blood, which is an iconic. Uh-huh iconic line within this show Mm -hmm. i do really like this idea because bobby really is family to these boys and here he's kind of like i'm trying to parent a little bit but at the end of the day it has to be you know their decision how they're going to handle this right yeah i think it's so important that he's like that and in this episode that really without mentioning john too much 
really makes us think about John and the way they're repeating John's behavior and John's legacy and everything and the ways John was there for them and not there for them. When we compare um, the way Bobby treats Dean and Sam and this very like gentle, if aggravated sort of demeanor, um, like the respectfulness over their autonomy and the supportiveness I find it very touching. It, it's mm-hmm. like the it's the parent they should have had their whole childhood. Yeah. yeah. It's so heartbreaking to see. And then also to like know that even at the end, the support is coming and like that Dean didn't like, I know he loves Bobby and trusts Bobby, but that Bobby has to like continuously restate these things makes me feel so bad for both of them. Right. Yeah. Because you can see, um, I think Jim Beaver is really great at portraying how much it breaks his heart that he has to respect Dean's choices in this matter. Uh From the very beginning of this arc, in in the last episode of uh, season two, he he hates it for him so much. Um, But he you know, is, is still there with him, even when he's making these continued bad decisions. Uh-huh. I love the brief interaction they have where Bobby calls out Dean hallucinating as well. Yeah. Um, I think this is a really great Sam moment, actually, because he looks so, like, he doesn't really have dialogue in this bit, but he's uh-huh. so hurt. He's so, like, yeah. in pain. Um, and I can, you know, only imagine like that he was wondering, like, why didn't Dean tell me about this? Which is so Dean. But then also the fact that he didn't notice. Yeah. And it also shows us like Bobby to the end is like so fucking smart and knowledgeable. Right. Yeah. And he's not afraid to, you know, use that knowledge. I actually had something I wanted to talk about with Sam, which is I was kind of winding up to it. So one of the first scenes in this episode is um, Dean looking at Sam and seeing the weird, like morphing demon face. And we're meant to understand that that's like he's hallucinating because mm-hmm. of the demon deal. And, uh, you know, he's nearing the veil and all that stuff, which is how he can relearn like seconds later, he can see demon faces. And then there's also this interaction between Ruby and Sam, where Ruby is like, you know, I know that you don't like being different. And I know that you hate how Dean looks at you like a freak. And I think it's so, it's so cool to have that kind of um, idea sitting, like stewing in the back of our heads. And we even have Sam like react to Dean looking at him um, and being like, don't look at me like that. And then to have this appear, which Sam didn't know about, where like Dean has straight up been seeing things. And one of the things that, in fact, the only thing, the only hallucination of yep. Dean's that were shown is, is a distortion of Sam's image. So mm-hmm. And I don't think this question is answered necessarily, but there's this question of like, is Dean seeing some residual evil within Sam the way he's seeing um, the true face of the demonic in these possessed people? 
or is this just a hallucination? Is this just something he's like, you know, he's like tripping balls because, you know, he's about to <laughs> die and his body is releasing all of this um, DMT into his brain, essentially. You know <laughs> what I mean? And then to have that also coinciding with this idea of um, Sam accessing and making use of whatever latent demonic abilities he might have or like you know I just think that's so so cool and it's like hardly touched on and that's what makes it so interesting as we get to wonder about it I had that exact same thought like after like when I heard that he was hallucinating and after seeing Sam earlier and I was like yeah this is so cool too bad we'll never get to know yeah <laughs> I also, you know how like some people who have near-death experiences and have things like that, like they retain mm-hmm. those things? Yeah. Like how fucking cool would it be if Dean, if he lives, he could never like... <laughs> right, right. Not to spoil, but like obviously Jordan, you can guess. But like it would be so cool to carry on that skill or like have gained something from this experience. That is such an interesting AU concept that I would love to explore. Who's writing this canon verse AU where Dean retains the ability to perceive the demonic? Who's writing it? Please God someone. (laughs) I'm glad that that was something that you are also thinking about, Jordan, because this is the kind of shit in this show that like makes me lose my mind. Like this is that good shit. This is that shit that I eat up. Like, you know, like there's the duds. Obviously there's episodes like, you know, bugs oh Oh, god (laughs) um but you know then there's stuff like this and i'm like whoa (laughs) and it doesn't surprise me that eric kripke is 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 a a very successful tv writer yeah you know despite the fact that i don't consistently agree with the kinds of ideas and themes that he writes towards and i think his personal ideologies are fucking stupid if, if if they're anything like the reflection that I see in his work but yeah I think he has good ideas though it's just I would know true I have some issues with the direction of these ideas yeah I'm definitely intrigued sometimes I wish that there was more payoff with these ideas I'm curious I'm curious to see where they go I think that's just somewhere we're gonna diverge because I love an unanswered question like not that I not that I think like things like this shouldn't be explored, but I like to be able to draw my own conclusions. I don't like to be told necessarily mm-hmm. as much. And I, I don't think that you like to be told all the time either. That's not no. what I'm saying. I just like this I'm fine with, like just yeah. wondering about it. I get more excited with like bubbling potential. I just like yeah. to see a story from start to finish and sometimes like with like Bella's character, especially like within this season, that's something we really miss, but something we can explore more later next episode. So I agree, Jordan. Like, I think I like really well-intentioned questions that are left unanswered and in Supernatural, like I can't help but think with all of them, like, was this intentional? I think this had to have been. This one, yeah, for sure. But I, this I, had I, to have been intentional. I, I think yeah. there's too much. It just sucks that like the other ones, like, even though I completely agree, like there are so many that are just dropped off that it makes even when it's well done feel still slightly questionable from the past ones. Gotcha. I really like this next scene. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. I watched this episode a few days ago, but there's no dialogue leading up to this like karaoke moment they have. There, There is some. 
Sam tries to do like a goodbye speech and Dean is like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Did you like this scene? I did. It was just kind of nice to see like this kind of somber moment where they're just like trying to enjoy their last moment, possibly. Well, what they understand to be their last moment together. Yeah. How they know how to, especially because they're like, this is their home. And it's like the last, like the car is such like a big part of the series. It's like the last time they're in this car together. Right. And it just kind of feels like really unfortunate and sad, but also like kind of a proper send off. Yeah, I think so too. And I like the the levity of it and the fact that you can't get away from the fact that they're like, you know, they find each other low key annoying a lot of the time because they're siblings. <laughs> I think there's something really delightful about how kind of cringy it is, too. Yeah. And Jensen definitely hams it up, like, really big. Uh, I don't I don't know if either of y'all know this, but he does have, like, a musical career also. Like, he can actually sing for real. <laughs> so it's funny to see bits like this where he is, like, purposely being, like, over the top and slightly off key. And I think there's there's something too that's kind of um, delightful about uh, about Jared here. Like he seems almost candidly having fun, which I, yeah, I don't know. I just like it. <laughs> yeah, this me scene, too. This scene breaks my heart because you get Dean trying to distract Sam and cheer him yeah. up. And when Sam gets into it and like gets upbeat, that's the moment where Dean can actually fear the yeah. feel the fear himself. Yeah. And that just breaks my heart. Right. Like the way he collapses. Yeah. Once he once Sam is is fully um popped out of his somber mood. Yeah, and like distracted by it. Yeah. Yeah. I think this episode does a good job of reminding us that Dean is Sam's parent in moments like that. Mm-hmm. In the way that he was able to and specifically did hide the fact that he was hallucinating here in the way that he makes this big effort to lift Sam's mood. And then later when he tells Sam, remember what dad has taught you, but also remember what I've taught you. Um, yeah. Like putting himself in that same sort of basket. It's very good. It's very good. Ooh, ooh, my heart, my heart. And I love that like such a small scene like this can encompass so many of those ideas and feelings too, because yeah, I, yeah. like I'm feeling so awkward, so tender and so like, you like there's like a sense of pride but you're also like oh fuck like he's mm-hmm. freaked out and they don't even have to do that much to make it a good scene mm-hmm. like they're just singing in a car it blows my mind yeah it's definitely an interesting take i wasn't fully what to make of it but i like it i like the way it made me feel and then we have the cop scene I, for a second here, thought Dean had fully lost it. Did you forget? I forgot. And then when he gets out, I was like, oh, he's going to talk to the cop. And then every time he stabs him, each time I see this, 
I'm just like, what the fuck has he done? And before I remember. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think there's something very convincing about Sam in this moment being like, what the shit? That yeah. it's like easy to get wrapped up in that. Are we ready to talk about the big fight? Yes. I really liked, I don't know, the end of this episode was probably my favorite. Yeah. Which is weird because I've like had so many interesting things to say about the beginning, but they just like got into it. Yeah. There was a very good rhythm. Like we get the buildup of like scoping it out from next door and like piece by piece, this scene builds in a really effective way. Right. For sure. I love, like you said, they're scoping it out. And then we get the montage of them infiltrating and stuff. And it just moves very, very fluidly through that. Mm -hmm. There's no like lull in the action. Um, We keep getting these moments where something big happens and it sometimes supernatural tends to like take too long after that, but Mm -hmm. they immediately are onto the next scene. Like we have the fake out with, um, it not being Lilith anymore and he's just uh, escorts them down to the basement so quickly and we're on to the next part right right it's sort of like the magical instrument in the beginning it's like we don't need to linger in that moment like we can just move on it's just like really good editing in that Mm -hmm. regard I love the fake out with the little girl that whole scene is like spectacular to me like, it is a little over the top with the cutting back and forth from Sam's face to the mom's face. And, like, he has the knife up and, like, the slow moving of, like, the curtain and, like, all of this stuff. But it works. It does really well. And I think, yeah, we have the tension of, like, the mom at her, her wit's end saying, like, just do it, just do it. Which is a horrific thing in its own. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you're like, Sam, do it. But also this is murdering a child. <laughs> Right. And there's this sort of idea of like, how far will he go? How much Mm -hmm. is too much? And it's, it's this very like visceral, physical enactment of the same kind of ideas as um, the argument that he has with Dean about going with Ruby's plan, where Dean is like, Mm -hmm. that's too much. That's like a line that you shouldn't cross. You know, the whole idea of the road to hell is paved with good intentions, which I love the fact that they use that line Mm -hmm. without actually saying it just as a side note. But yeah, the same time as you're like, yeah, Lilith needs to die. You're like, wow, am I really going to watch Sam stab a little girl to death? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's fucking nuts. And I love, Jordan, that you brought up like the human element of the like descent of the special children into like psychopathy because I feel like this is a moment this or would be a moment of that you know like you inure yourself to such intense acts of violence that you you know start to not care or like there's the possibility of that in the future like if he's stabbed a little girl to death once will he do it again it's it's so good and like you don't even none of the questions need to be asked there because of the camera work and the tenseness of the scene mm-hmm. it's great yeah it, re- it really is i um was literally expecting him to stab this little girl i was not expecting Same. it <laughs> Alice, like i don't remember anything that happened in this it was like experiencing it for the first time literally every time 
I do like the <laughs> swerve, though, of her not being the demon. I like the idea of Lilith, just this huge, powerful demon, just kind of floating around in the ether, and we don't know where she's going to be coming from. Right. But we've trapped ourselves in this house with her. Yeah, and I love just watching it. This cuts to Bobby across the street and him watching on where all those people are just lined up, all the demons lined up. Like, that's so fucking ominous, too, that they're not even, like, a part of this fight or anything. They're just waiting because Lilith is taking care of it. Right. And on top of that, there's the additional layer of tension where uh, Bobby is, like, looking at a clock. So we're, like, reminded that there is a time limit here as well. I'm kind of curious how soon Lilith possessed Ruby because Ruby literally made a gun for them that can shoot demons. Like she helped them remake it. Mm -hmm. And then here she gets back and all she cares about is getting back her knife. So I'm Mm -hmm. kind of wondering if like she maybe came there because she was possessed or I don't know. It's a little interesting to think about. Right. Well, I think that's part of why we have this brief interaction between Dean and Ruby by the chain link fence where he sees her true face is so that we know that Ruby really was there. But there's uh-huh. this question of like when personally, I think it's right before Sam goes into the bedroom, oh, because if you recall, uh, Ruby splits off into a different room uh-huh. and then Sam enters the bedroom alone. So I think it might have been there, but it is hard to say. It's, hard it's also to say. interesting to me to be like, when does Lilith realize? Because the kid's asleep and as soon as she wakes up, like she's screaming. So it's also like, even if the body's asleep, is Lilith so powerful that she's like watching and knowing? Like that's terrifying. Right. It is terrifying. It's so cool. I love it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Again, props to Katie Cassidy. I love when we reveal that Ruby isn't Ruby, actually. It's Lilith and her whole like demeanor and body language changes. And the way we see that sort of um, like innocent violence um, reflected in, in her behavior still, even though she's in like an adult shape. Yeah. Um, and I love... I'm so interested in her decision to change her her body language a whole bunch too. Like uh, Ruby's body language is very brusque and sort of forceful, I guess, and confident. And during this scene, she's sort of um, she's sort of like jerky and awkward, but also almost like bird like. Like there's a curiosity to her, but also this sense that like she's not used to being in a, a human's body. And I, I find that so, I just think it's neat. <laughs> that is neat. Sorry if I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it was kind of interesting that when she Sith Lorded Sam up against the wall, we again mm-hmm. get like another forceful kiss upon Sam. Right. It's so horrible, but also yeah. compels me that a lack of bodily autonomy and like this idea of Sam's inability to consent is a thread that we're seeing now. Like yeah. I think at first when it starts in season one, it's like, whoa, what the fuck? And like there's sort of this question of whether it's being played to be like titillating or not. Which I think you can still ask here. I think you can still ask that question. But I think more than anything, it is meant to be disturbing. Like, we're not mm-hmm. supposed to laugh at this. Like, this isn't funny. 
And again, I think maybe there's something about like the almost innocent nature of the kiss itself, like the manner of it and her remark that his lips are soft that makes it extra creepy. Mm -hmm. Very curious what the artistic intention is behind this whole arcing thing with Sam and consent. I don't think it's ever going to be addressed in the show, but it's a very strange choice. Yeah, it is weird. But I think the fact that it comes up repeatedly makes it something of note. Like you can you can start to see that, yes, this is just like an intentional thing with his character. Not to say that um, Dean doesn't also have his moments of like non-consent as well. But I, I definitely think it's much more prevalent with Sam. And mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's disturbing. It's, yeah. <laughs> Just going to throw that out there again. It's disturbing. And then after she does this, like, it feels like naturally there'd be like a big fight or something. But it's like you're saying, like, um, the very, like, non-sexual nature of the kiss. It's very awkward. This then kind of mimics it where there's no fight. Like having Lilith just stand there and wait is yeah. also like so uncomfortable because we want there to be a fight. We want like someone to try. And instead, she's just like waiting for Dean's inevitable doom. Right. Like waiting for the clock to run out, yeah. waiting for the hellhound to come back in, waiting for the life force to finish draining from him. And like all the while, she's like laughing, like, whoo, it's a lot. And you do feel very frozen, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It kind of makes you, like, it puts you on the edge of your seat just waiting to see what will happen. Right, exactly. This is sort of an aside because it's not related to, like, thematic content. But whoever decided to make the Hellhounds invisible and to instead, like, do this sort of monster cam thing here and there is a fucking genius because that yes. must have been such a money saver for them. Yeah. yeah. Money saver is so effective. It, yes, exactly. Like it doesn't lack anything. I think it's scary right. not seeing. Right, right, right. Ah, it's like the, the, the whole don't show the monster thing uh-huh. is is very big here where like I think the monster is less the hellhound and more the idea of hell itself and like mm-hmm. what that could be and the potential of that. So having the monster be invisible heightens that anxiety and it's very, it's very good. But also I'm just like, you know, the way it ties into this whole idea of Dean being able to see beyond the veil and like hellhounds are this thing that only exists outside of life and now he can see them because he's going to die like the way it works so well with like the ideas presented in the episode while also saving them so much effort and money is just incredible to me I love when things work out like that (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's almost like seeing it would cheapen the stakes yeah um yeah. because hell is an unimaginable horror right and the special effects what did y'all think about those oh like the the flesh ripping and like the yeah. blood i really liked it honestly like i liked the fakeness of it i think trying to do any kind of like really over the top cgi stuff would have just not worked I don't know. I love yeah. the obnoxious blood squirts 
and the, was, the torn fake yeah. flesh. I was so curious with why they chose to go this direction with Dean's death because they went for like camp. If if I was watching like an 80s slasher movie and someone died in this way, I would be laughing. Sure. I, but, but you know, I think it's hard to laugh here because of the um, really intense emotional stakes, which are not something that are really focused on um, in a slasher. You know, I think it's all about everything else going on. Like because um, the setup of the tone is so effective, we're able to see past the fact that these effects aren't very technically good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do also want to note that I loved last episode when we were talking about Bella's death and you were like, I wonder if Dean's death will be similar because of the way hers is just sort of like a a cut to black um, and we just imagine what her death will look like. I was so like, ooh, like wondering what you were going to think about this because it's completely the opposite. Yeah, it's very visceral and intense. I enjoyed it, honestly. <laughs> like I loved it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I loved it for the reasons you brought up in the previous episode. I feel like that sets us up for this false expectation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's very surprising when it's so, so bloody. And you know what else I'm reminded of? The mystery spot. The poses, like the way their bodies are, the first and the second death. It just really reminds me of that, like when when Sam is like holding his body and like you see the light go out of his eyes. So I feel like we were a little bit prepared for that emotionally. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also really curious where they're going with this next scene too. Like not the next scene, it's kind of in the same. But um, after Dean dies, we've kind of like spent this whole episode building Sam up to be like to step into this power and then we don't like <laughs> we decide not to do it and well that's not fully true he decides to but it's too late right and then we find out that Lilith's power her like weird white beam of doom does not work on sam and i'm really interested to see what they're going to do mm-hmm. with that right yeah you know what else i was thinking about during this scene which i had i hadn't thought about on previous watches was the episode shadow in season 1 which one's that one again that's the one where there's the um, false lead in Chicago that Meg uses oh. to lure them there to lure John John there, which uh-huh. actually I think they might have been specifically um, trying to visually reference and like reference in dialogue a little bit, talking about being each other's weak spot and things like that. And just like comparing the Dean Sam dynamic to the John dynamic with the two of them, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But there's the scene in the um, motel or hotel they're staying in where John is in there. And then the demon comes in and Sam lights like a flare or something when they're in the room. And there's like the blinding flash of light. And then the demon goes away. And this was sort of like an inverse of that. But there's still that same focus on Sam in terms of the camera. Yeah. I thought this was really good. The camera was good at positioning Lilith as super powerful, which makes it even more shocking that Sam isn't like in her control. 
right um, with her positioned over like lording over and the white like coming off of her just like blaring through the screen it was really well done Right. And I love the idea of the white light coming from her again, like the, uh, these ideas of like purity and innocence Uh coming, like in creating this evil, especially in contrast to the idea of demons, which are like shadow and darkness and everything like, like in that season one episode. And I think there's something so visually impactful, not just about the, the blast of white light, but what comes after and this sort of like um, cause like Sam is like cowering, but then the way like he like unfolds and like Jared is a tall guy already, yeah. but like having him go from curled up into a ball on the floor to like standing up really tall and like, mm-hmm. I'm going to fucking get you is like fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. This was just fantastic overall. Yeah. My one thing is that I'm not super into the crying in this scene. I think like, cause it's broken up in half. Like the first time I'm like, okay, <laughs> I believe you. Like when they're still having a conversation, but then when Dean is dead and Sam is crying over his body, I, I don't know. I don't feel really as immersed. Like there's just something that doesn't feel as genuine to me. I don't know. I thought it felt genuine and I thought it was good that they didn't like wait watching that scene for too long. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I like how it then flashed over to where Dean is now. Sure. What did you think, Dredden? So my issue with the crying is like, for one, he's supposed to be portraying inconsolability, which I didn't fully feel it. Also, Mm -hmm. like with the crying being broken up, the very first time he's crying, there's no like sobbing or anything yet. And they like, they obviously use like eye drops to give him tears, but they also like gave him a snotty nose. And I'm like, he it's is true. not at snotty nose level yet. Like, right. It was yeah. weird. I think I just really wanted some full blast, ugly crying. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's what and I wasn't. I, getting. I really. I didn't want this, like, I'm trying to be strong, like, bullshit here. I'm like, dude, your brother, who's basically your parent, is dead. And he's not just dead. He was gored to death. Like, I yeah. want I and want some hell. disgust. And he's in hell. I wanted some disgusting crying. <laughs> Same Z's. I don't know. So I was just like, I'm not convinced. <laughs> I no. was like, sure, Jared. I don't know. It's not really his fault. I'm sure a lot of that is di- like direction, the direction. Yeah. Like, I just feel like if know. Jensen, if it was like flipped around, Jensen would be like screaming at the sky and like. True. Right, right. <laughs> Such drama. What did we think of hell? I honestly kind of wish they would have saved this scene for maybe the beginning of season four. I don't feel like it needed it. I'm actually, okay, so for one, like it was bad CGI. I did like the real effects of the chains in the shoulders. I can completely forgive that. I don't care. Like I don't need good CGI. I just like, we talked a little bit earlier about like letting things, leaving things to the imagination. I kind of like the idea of leaving hell to the imagination a Mm. little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not that it didn't. It did not reveal anything about hell really in this scene, but like we just said goodbye to Dean. I'm fine with it just being left there. Right. Mm -hmm. I did like how it it didn't seem like that's where like the final destination in hell, like it's kind of like him just waking up there and obviously concerned. Yeah. 
Uh, personally, I, I surprisingly, I liked it. I agree, Ali. To me, it didn't seem like the full culmination of hell. Mm-hmm. It seemed like he was just hanging around. <laughs> oh Lord. But um, I think sort of in line with the Bon Jovi scene mid-episode, I think even in his final moments, there was something kind of held back about Dean's terror um, because he's trying really hard to keep it together for Sam and to be like, you know, yeah, he's like, keep fighting, take care of my car, like all this stuff. Everything uh-huh. is a performance yeah. up until he was being gored to death. So to me, there's something really, I love the hopelessness of it. Like, yeah, he fucking went to hell. He's fucking miserable. And now he is like crying out for help and he can't get it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of reminds me too of Bella in the previous episode where it's like, well, if you wanted help, you really had to have brought this up sooner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Right. And, and not, you know, that's not to say because they were trying to figure it out from like day one of this, you know, they spent the entire year trying to figure it out. Um, and they, and they just couldn't, which really fucking sucked, but I just enjoy the hopelessness of it. Um, my one thing with it is just that like, I also can't help but think of, um dean and ruby joking about hellraiser and like being very aware in the moment of that scene several episodes ago does kind of cut away some of the emotional intensity here (laughs) like i don't want to be like hellraiser (laughs) you know (laughs) but i don't know surprisingly i like it Mm -hmm. yeah I also like that that's the absolute last moment in this season. In the season, right? It's so shocking. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they sort of had to end it here, right? And I think um, the vibe of the episode doesn't necessarily have the vibe of a season finale. It has the vibe of like a mid-season finale. Yeah. Um, Because of the way things aren't totally wrapped up. Not to say that things are totally wrapped up feeling at the end of other seasons, but it's risky. It's a risky it place to stop. Like if this had gone a full 22 episodes or whatever, and this is how they mm-hmm. ended like intentionally, I would have been like, whoa, like those are some people who really have a vision. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I still yeah. kind of, I still kind of have that feeling here because like they could have, I don't know. I don't know what they could have done. I, I, I'm going to stop that sentence right there. <laughs> but I feel yeah. like, I feel like there was probably some way for them to end this on like a less horrifying note, but they didn't. They were like, no, this is where we're leaving it. We're leaving it with Dean is in hell. (laughs) Dean fucking died. They fucking lost. That's how they end this, this season. They lost like hardcore. (laughs) I imagine, um, they must have been renewed for season four before finishing writing this. Could you imagine if the show just ended here? Oh my god, oh my yeah, god. right? That would be, honestly, I would kind of love that. <laughs> like, like a show that just ended like this, and like, I mean, obviously certain things would have to be different to make it work, but yeah. like, can you imagine a show that ran for three seasons and intentionally ended on this kind of a note? <laughs> Bizarre. I know, but also cool. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know. I, I'm a glutton for punishment when it comes to narrative. I'm like, just how can you make it worse? Like, <laughs> hurt me. So I'm going to save Lilith to the start of next season. So instead, I have a book recommendation. Ooh, I love that you're giving the book recommendation here since I'm not doing thick racks like I normally would. Because I'm saving them for next episode. So it's like having a rack section. Mm-hmm. Have either of you read Legendborn? I've heard of no. it. I've not read it. Oh, it is so freaking good. And it is very related because it's hellhounds are like a big thing in it. Ooh. Uh, but it's basically this young girl whose mother is also dead because trauma. And she goes to college in this like pre-college program. So she's high school age. And when she gets there, she finds out like there's stuff about like the legend of Merlin and the Knights of the Round Table is a big aspect. There's magic. There's otherworldly things and things like hellhounds. Oh, and- wait. I think, wait, I think I've seen people talking about this on Merlin Twitter, actually. Oh, it is fan-fucking-tastic. And not only that, like, it's so rooted in that history, but then it also, so this is a young African-American woman, and it's also about how, like, while colonizers have gotten to keep their history, what happens to groups that don't get to keep their history, and, like, how do different groups have very different, like, ideas of how we use resources and how we continue passing along traditions, that sounds very cool. I actually, it is so good. I own this book on audiobook. I just haven't read it yet. So I'm definitely going to have to give it a chance now. I have read all like really good books this year. And I keep every time I start a new one, I'm like, oh God, please don't be bad. Um, and this one I think might be my favorite I've read so far. It is so good. If you like fantasy, especially low fantasy. Um, and I know it is like, it, it does have some tropes and there is so, there are some romance in it but it's really well done and I think a lot more critical of how these stories will get passed down in our real world I love this concept I want to ask is it like YA oriented yeah a little it's yeah. like okay kind of- because I I personally like I know you don't really like romance stuff I yeah. like it because I'm like romance is a big part of most adults lives um, but that's that's not even what I mean. It's just like, I don't know how I feel about like young adult romance, mm. I guess. And like sometimes the kind of prose writing that is involved in YA stuff, I'm not as into. But I think that's just like a taste. That's just like a taste thing. That doesn't mean it's bad. But it's also something for our listeners to know. Because yeah. I know some people have a preference or non preference I, I don't know why I can't think of that word but um for YA fiction <clears throat> yeah and I I totally get that I'm not the biggest YA person by any means um especially YA romance but this one I actually don't think is like bad for YA especially because YA tends to be like you see someone across a room and you fall in love like stupid stuff this is very much like side part of the story it's not like love above everything else and also the writing the writing isn't like the traditional YA writing okay that's good to know Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it sick 
So what do we think? Are we are we ready to rate the episode? I am so ready. Mm-hmm. What did you think, Jordan? Mm-hmm. I say I'm like so ready and then here I am like <laughs> spinning my head like, hmm, I just like, gosh. So what do I think? <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because um, for an episode that's like, I guess not as straightforward as we thought, because there is a lot of nuance to this episode. Yeah. It's just the plot beats are very straightforward. Which is how um, it should be. <laughs> yes, I agree. It's a great season finale. I like that it was just kind of devastating. I found that very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's fair to rate the episode on this, because this will come more into like the season rating. But the episodes surrounding this, I feel like kind of soiled it a little bit for mm. me, just as like an overarching narrative. So I kind of feel like I have to give this a 4.5 freckles out of five freckles. Oh, for the, for all the close-ups on Jensen? <laughs> yes, and the dead cat. <laughs> oh, the dead cat. I was oh. like, what the fuck are you talking about? Freckles? Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> what about you, Allie? Yeah, I, I agree, but I'm just going to rate this one as solely this episode. I would give it a five out of five, especially for ending a finale like this. Like, I know it's impacted by the writer's strike, but still, like, that's a bold move. And mm-hmm. it makes me excited for the start of the next season. So I will give this five out of five white eyes. Oh, fuck you. I was going to do milky white eyes. <laughs> I have to think of a new one. Okay. I'm so sorry, Jasper. It's okay. It's just we're on the same wavelength. Jordan, I totally respect that you're rating it as a finale as well as as an episode. But I don't know. I'm still also going to give this one a five out of five. I just think there's so much depth in the writing of this episode and so much understanding of the important moments in previous seasons and the important interactions between characters uh, within those that it just it's just excellent to me. I wish every single fucking episode was like this. This is supernatural at its best. Uh, So I'm going to give this one five out of five demon killing knives. I love Ruby's knife. The design of it is so cool to me. Uh, Ruby, the actress, Katie Cassidy's character, at least Katie Cassidy as Ruby. Bye bye, Katie Cassidy. Makes me sad. No, No women on the main cast. I don't want to get into it too much because I think it'll eat up a lot of our content for our season three wrap up episode. Mm-hmm. But Jordan, I am interested to hear like maybe a little bit of what you hope to see in season four. So I know Dean's coming back to life. I'm going to guess literally next episode because like <laughs> the showrunners are obviously so inspired by Dean's character. What's kind of sad is I actually think this is a really, really great opportunity to build up Sam as a character here. Mm-hmm. And see him navigate life without Dean. I think we're going to get a little bit of that. But I think it's mostly going to be through exposition. Mm-hmm. Rather than like letting the story breathe in that way. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious. Because I'm like. We've literally called Sam the Antichrist. And I've like compared Dean to Jesus. And like. <laughs> now he's literally about to get Eastered. <laughs> I'm curious what the implications of that is going to be. Mm-hmm. There has to be something with, like, Dean and, like, possibly Sam, too. Like, they have some kind of mystical plot armor, like, mm-hmm. 
they have to be like chosen by God or something mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be. Maybe they're like the reincarnation of angels or some shit or Cain and Abel. Or I don't know what they're going with it, but there has to be something biblical going on with these boys. Mm-hmm. What I hope to see, um, gay shit. You know what? Just for you, Jordan, (laughs) for season four, episode one, I will whip out my lecture on stabbing as penetration. (laughs) Here we go. Um, We're actually not going to have a (laughs) season four, episode one review. It's just literally going to be Jasper's essay on stabbing as penetration. So I hope you all enjoy. Oh, my gosh. I hope you're ready to hear me say penetration. A lot. <laughs> Always. Good. Because it's going to happen. Well, there you have it. That's as far as my brain has taken me. You know what? I think that's great. I love to hear all of that. And I'm so excited to hear your expanded hopes and fears and expectations next time. Mm-hmm. So tune in. Thanks for tuning in to On the Road with Supernatural. Our theme music was composed by Anthony Ployhar. And special thanks to Sophia London for our logo. If you're having fun, hit us up on Tumblr, Instagram, or Twitter at OTR Supernatural, or contact us by email at ontheroadwithsupernatural at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. That's all for today. See you next time in season four. Bye. Bye. Bye.